0: And welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This time I'm talking to Courtney Clark, or Courts J as she's known online, about her photography journey and how it has shaped her relationship with the world. Courts is a West Australian based travel and adventure photographer who shoots landscapes, architecture and portraits qualified and practicing engineer and a strong advocate for inclusion and diversity, her photographic style is bold and colourful and incorporates elements of symmetry and scale. We discuss how she's continued to develop that style over time with a focus on bright colours and contrasting elements. In 2017, she lost her father suddenly and a close friend two months later. These events made Courtney question what she values in life and completely changed her perspective A lot of things. It made her realise how short and fragile life is, and she has chosen to make the most of every opportunity she gets to travel since. Photography to Courtney is not only a passion, but it's a way for her to keep the connection alive with her father. We discuss her work and how that shapes her photography, her adventures in the Italian Alps, and how the pandemic has affected her relationships and provided an impetus to dive headlong into the NFT photography scene. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi Kortz. welcome to the podcast. How are you going?
1: Good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, really good. Really good. So, uh, still summer and uh, you know, had a had a relaxing Sunday. How's your day been?
1: Yeah, it's been good. I went to the went to the beach this morning for a couple of hours before it got too hot. I think it's we've had a week of like high 30s, so it's been pretty uh, yeah, pretty warm this week, but yeah. nice beach weather.
0: So, let's start with where you are I guess you know people um need to know where you're from and and, and where you are so um where where are you um tell us a bit about yourself
1: yeah sure um so I'm currently living in Perth I moved to Perth just over three years ago now um so I got a job here I actually work as a as a full-time engineer um photography is mainly a hobby for me so um Yeah, originally from Adelaide, so I grew up in Adelaide um, and then moved over, yeah, three years ago. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. (laughs) Cool,
0: okay. So what got you started with photography and in particular, landscape photography?
1: So I think the first thing that kind of triggered me to get into photography, my dad was into photography um, and he actually gave me my first camera. I did an exchange in the US, College exchange in Colorado, um, and that would have been, I think that would have been about 2015, so about seven, just over seven years ago. Um, so I thought I'm going overseas, like on this on this big trip, and I previously just taken photos with an iPhone when I'd been travelling. So um, yeah, Dad gave me my first camera, which was a Nikon D50 or a Nikon D50. Um, so yeah, I, di- I did a college exchange, and then I did a big road trip around the US. At the end of my exchange, which was, I think it was about five weeks. And then I spent two weeks in Canada and that trip was kind of what kicked everything off for me. Um, I actually ended up buying a new camera halfway through the trip because I started to try and take photos of stars and realised that the Nikon D50 just didn't have that capability.
0: Not not really cutting it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah, I did a bit of Googling, like far out. I'm in these incredible places in like, you know, kind of in the... Where was I? I started in Colorado and I went up to, through Wyoming, Montana, across to um, Washington State, then up to Canada. So I I think it was in Wyoming when I was in quite kind of somewhat deserted areas and, um, yeah, the stars were just so incredible. So I did a bit of Googling to figure out how to take photos of the stars and, yeah, the camera just didn't have the capacity for it. So I ended up upgrading to a Nikon, I think it was a D3200, i think it just kicked off from there having a bit of a better camera and then experimenting with um you know different settings as i went along and yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of what kicked it off
0: oh, cool so what uh i guess what was it about landscape photography in particular that really got you going in there i know you do a few other things and you know you you ride into drones and so forth but i i guess was it that that trip that started getting you hooked in the into the landscape genre at all or
1: yeah definitely because I mean growing up in Australia we haven't you would know we haven't really got that many mountains um, or I mean we have really nice landscapes in terms of beaches and deserts but um, I think that was the big one for me especially in Colorado and you know Wyoming that whole area and Canada Um, so I did a lot of hiking on that trip and I think it was the combination of hiking as well as just wanting to capture you know I'd do this big hike um, get to the top and I'd be like oh my god this view is just insane just like the need to try and capture that that's mm-hmm. sort of went hand in hand the hiking and the photography um, so I did a lot of hikes on that trip um, yeah that's kind of how that was what what it started with was landscapes and then as I did more and more travel over the years it became a bit more, travel photography which is a little bit more um I mean I got into portraits I do take portrait photos when I travel it's kind of just everything when you travel it's a little bit of straight it's a little bit of lifestyle type thing so it's sort of broadened from there but um yeah it definitely started with landscapes originally
0: cool so when uh you know when when you talk about what um, you know how things have evolved for you what uh, would you how would you describe your style
1: this is a hard question and I, <laughs> I've thought about this a lot lately because um, I mean I've seen a lot of just general discussion on Twitter about you know what makes a great artist is developing a style that's recognizable to that artist yep. sometimes I feel like I have that a little bit and sometimes I don't um, but I think in terms of style I feel like I've in terms of landscapes, I feel like I've developed a style that kind of it really captures the colours and the, just the boldness. And I I think a lot of my style comes from the way that I frame my photos as well. I have a very um, kind of ties in with my engineering brain, to be honest, but I feel like when I take a photo symmetry and a sense of scale and framing things perfectly is something that I, I definitely attribute my style to that as well as, you know, bringing out colours and um just the bold kind of contrasts in the photos as well. So I feel like that's sort of where I'm at with my style. But then it's a little bit different for um for portraits. I like to do portraits in um black and white. I think that definitely brings out more emotion in the portraits.
0: Yeah, so it certainly can certainly can. So what are, when when you started, I guess, were you looking to just sort of record memories for yourself, or were you looking to share and? You know, who were you sharing with? Was it, you know, for, for the gram or was it for, you know, <laughs> for, for, for something else, you know?
1: So when I first started, it was definitely, um, I don't really, I think I had Instagram and I was sort of posting some stuff on there, but it wasn't really. Everybody was definitely,
0: when they go back to their early Instagram.
1: Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Some of the first photos, when I first started taking photos, I would edit them on I don't know kind of shitty little editing apps and I would like max out contrast and max out <laughs> separate, everyone does. So like, oh. yeah. yeah
2: everyone's
1: like whoa this looks so cool so I started with that I guess and I was I guess I was posting a little bit on Instagram here and there and a little bit on Facebook and um yeah I think as I got more and more into it I started posting more and more on Instagram and then I guess over time it just evolved into um yeah, I don't know. I guess the more I did it, you kind of naturally wanted to post more and more. And then as you discover, I think Instagram was a really good um, way of discovering other photographers. Sure. And how they're, you kind of, you're not copying other photographers, but you're kind of seeing what their styles are. Like how, there was so many different styles. And I think people kind of tended to develop their style based on how their Instagram feed looked. But it meant that like, we kind of draw inspiration from all different styles to get to the point where I got my own style so I think yeah originally it was just for me just to enjoy and look back on and I also had a um had a GoPro which I made a few little GoPro videos just of mm-hmm. the trip like little snippets here and there yep. um so I did I tried did that for a couple of trips actually I did that for a trip to Indonesia as well and a trip to New Zealand and I think yeah just the more I did little things like that the more I kind of got more into it and wanted to share it more so
0: yeah cool how far were you traveling each year i guess before the pandemic came along
1: so i've been to just over 30 countries um so i've spent basically i spent five years at university um this trip that I did, I think it was in my third year of university, which was, yeah, about six months. But almost every single university break that I had, I would save money. I'd do uni Monday to Friday. It was like 40 hours a week of uni because it was engineering. It was quite full on. And then I would work Friday night and Saturday night at nightclubs to save money. (laughs) I did that for a whole semester. Well, I did that for my whole five years, but you'd do it all through the semester and then you'd get a two two or three weeks uni break and I would save all my money and then just book a trip somewhere. So I've, yeah, traveled to, seen a fair bit of Europe. Um, I've been to Jordan, been to, yeah, the US, Canada, New Zealand. And then um, I took a year off after uni and did a five-month trip around Asia, which was basically almost all of Southeast Asia, Nepal and India, and um, spent a bit of time in Italy on that trip as well. So, yeah, yeah, I've increased my traveling over time enormously, but... um, up till COVID, obviously, because I haven't really travelled anywhere since COVID started.
0: Yeah, well, and uh, I think um, the, the the news very recently was uh, your state, Western Australia, is opening up finally to the rest of Australia. So i <laughs> are <Thank laughs> you, going to be able to get out, and we're going to be able to get in, which will be nice.
1: Exactly. I was actually a bit shocked that it was going to be this soon, um, but I'm so like I'm so happy. I cannot wait to get out and travel again. I've, how, yeah, it's, it's hard how, how hard
0: has it been? I guess you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's been pretty difficult. So um, I I met my partner in Nepal when I was trekking in Nepal in 2018, and um, we've done long distance since then. And obviously, with the borders, I haven't been able to get out. He hasn't been able to get in. So we haven't seen each other for two years and almost two months now um and my family's in another state they're all in south australia so it's been a wow. bit oh. i've seen them a little bit in the last two years when the borders were open but um i think the combination of that not having my partner not really being able to go out to the mountains or whatever has been um it's been a pretty tough two years so i'm very much looking forward to things kind of changing for the better this year and
0: so how, how have you handled that what what things have you done I guess to try and you know emotionally uh, I guess not prepare yourself but deal with the that that sense of isolation or the sense of you know you can't get out you can't see your family you can't see your, your partner etc
1: yeah it's been pretty hard to be honest um I think I've I've invested invested a lot of my time into my current job um so I probably have been a bit of a workaholic. <laughs> Um, but also, you know, finding um, finding the NFT world and the Twitter space sort of, I think it was late August, early September was when I um, found that sort of world. And I think that really brought a little bit more of a sense of purpose back into my life because, yeah, when you've when you've got not you know nothing really to look forward to, I think was probably the hardest thing. So yeah. having and, that
0: and, and not I, knowing when the borders were going to lift, so that yeah. you could actually do it. There's no end in sight, I guess.
1: Exactly, that was it. So I think, yeah, I definitely had more than one emotional breakdown. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I've just really invested myself into work, and I've, in terms of my my engineering job, I've gotten to a point now where. My my job's a little bit sometimes office based, sometimes field based. So I travel offshore for work. So in the last three years, I've kind of got snippets of being offshore to get enough experience to land myself a like full time offshore role. So coming come, come um, I think it's first or second week of April, I will be rotating offshore, which is basically means I'll spend three or four weeks offshore at a time and then I'll have three or four weeks where I don't have to work at all so I basically only work half the year so nice. I, I'm glad that I've put in the work in the last you know two years to get to that point to secure that role because now I have so much flexibility in terms of traveling because I have half the year off so yeah, yeah. I think that's um, I've done well in that sense at least for the, for the last two years.
0: So now, now things are starting to open up. Where first, Adelaide, and then Nepal, or Nepal, then Adelaide?
1: Yeah, I I reckon probably Adelaide first, um, and then I'm a, I sort of want to just see how things play out with international travel. Um, there's have to be a little bit like make sure that i can you know get back in for my next huge kind of thing but definitely nepal and yeah there's a lot of places on my bucket list for this year to travel to for sure
0: so do do you want to name a couple of names
1: oh yeah sure so um i think the biggest one that i've been wanting to go to for a long time is namibia oh yeah i've seen incredible photos of namibia um the dunes there uh the canyon i can't remember the name of it fish fish canyon or something like that yeah. um some of the photos I've seen they look incredible and also I, before the borders shut two days before the borders shut I had a full trip to Chile booked so I had to cancel everything it was for a friend's wedding but um I would love to go and do that trip and hike um Torres del Paine and go to the Atacama Desert so that's Chile's really high on my list but I think for this while I'm doing this role rotating and I've got you know, quite a lot of time off. I really want to go to the places that are a bit, you know, harder to reach usually and further away. So I think South America and Africa are going to be um, really big on my list. Morocco, Egypt, as well. Um, yeah, I think that's there are a few places, but just in general, as much as I can yeah. see of Africa and South America.
0: Sounds fantastic. And uh, you know, I imagine you starting to really think about the the, the planning for some of those trips and. Yeah, trying to work out all the logistics, et cetera, is going to be uh, an an interesting exercise in and of itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'll actually be for the role that I'm starting in April, that's a six-month role and then I kind of go onto a different role which is rotating out of Africa. So I'm hoping that they let you do side trips on the way home so I don't have to fly all the way back to Perth (laughs) to go somewhere in Africa. It's already be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of i'm I'm definitely a planner when it comes to uh, taking overseas troops. I, I'm an Excel spreadsheet kind of kind of gal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I think uh, I think planning's a good thing, you know, and i I guess that uh, you know probably comes a little from your your engineering background as well, you know you you don't you don't just build something, you uh, think about it first and work out how you're going to build it before you get there.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Yep.
0: So, so talking about that, do, do you take that same sort of approach to your photography? You know, if you let let's say you're just going out for a weekend shoot uh, down at the beach, is it just oh, I'll just go go where the the wind takes me, or is it more a, a planned exercise, something that you you think a bit about beforehand?
1: Yeah, I usually plan it. So when I'm going, I, to be honest, I don't really shoot much around Perth. I um. I feel a bit, like, I feel a bit snobby in terms of the type <laughs> of landscapes that I, like, want to take photos of. So the, oh. the main areas that I do, and I probably will go back as well in, my, in one of my swings off down south. Um, but Esperance is, like, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah. Um, so going down there, I, I did a trip there after Christmas for 10 days. It was a 10-day road trip. And, um, yeah, I, like, picked... All the spots had all the spots that I wanted to go to and sort of tried to plan out all right this morning I'm gonna go here and if there's I think one of the other things using um using a drone you've got to be quite conscious of wind especially in WA so it can really throw your plans a little bit. Yeah.
2: So um
1: yeah it's kind of see what like check the wind for the next morning. If the wind's gonna be okay in this particular place, you know, shoot here. Otherwise you might have to go somewhere else or you know come back to that place or commit to, all right, we'll have to do that place when I come back down to Esperance so I can move on to the next one. So, yeah, it's a little bit of bit of logistics, but I usually have a plan of what I want to shoot. And um, I usually have like, all right, these are my ones that I absolutely, like, these are the beaches that I absolutely have to go to and get shots at. So they're like priority. So then if the weather's bad and I can't shoot as much as I want, the other ones I'll do on another trip. That's usually, usually how I run with it.
0: Sure, sure. So how do you how do you deal with uh, I mean, obviously the weather's outside your control, but you know, let us say you um you get there and uh, you've forgotten to put the memory card in the in the drone, for example, which uh, <laughs> I've I've heard a few people do. Um, but you know, when what do you how do you deal with, with things when they don't go to plan? And you know, because you know spending a bit of time planning, obviously you, you get there and how do you deal with the disappointment?
1: Oh, I don't even know. I get really, really frustrated, that's for sure. I am um, actually on this last trip to Esperance. I, oh my God, I felt like such an idiot. I forgot my camera battery charger. Like the one thing, that, <laughs> one of the main things that you need. I had a, a cable, but it wasn't really working properly to charge my, yeah. my camera. So I had, but the the trip was primarily like for me when I shoot beaches I think drone is the main way that I can capture you know the beauty of the beaches depending like you know sometimes I can get nice just general shots with my normal camera but um especially down down south on those beaches because the beaches are so expansive I felt the only way that you can capture them well is with a drone so I wasn't too phased but um yeah it's pretty frustrating I always say to myself if I if I've forgotten like a um forgotten to put a memory card in i'll just try and go back another day um sure. but yeah i've forgotten something that i like really need like i was trying to search for like camera shops to try and buy a battery charger and i was like oh, i'm not gonna find anything there's country towns i was but,
0: gonna say there's not much in Esperance at all, so, no,
1: yeah,
0: no. charger. Yeah.
1: No. so i usually also,
0: what hey, I, you can order one in
1: yeah I know. that's it but what i usually do is Depending on how rushed I am trying to get everything prepared, I usually write a massive list of everything, just a huge brain dump of everything that I know I'm gonna need the week leading up to going. And I just open it and add to it when I remember, oh yeah, I'm gonna take that, gotta take that. And then I tick things off the list as I pack them to make sure that I don't forget. Anything. And that's usually what I do. So I'm usually pretty good with it. But yeah, the last trip I think work, everything was just so hectic leading up to it, I just slipped my mind. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, nothing worse than uh, forgetting something like that. I, I remember a shoot I went on recently, and um, got to the got to the beach, you know, well before sunrise. Got, um, you know, the tripod out, got the camera out, looked at the bottom of the camera to put it onto the tripod, and the tripod shoe wasn't on the bottom of the camera. It was on a different body that I'd used to, uh, a few days before. Um, and I'd forgotten oh, no. to transfer the shoe from there to there, and I didn't have a spare. So that was, well, no long exposures, no you know, blue hour shot or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, that's fun frustrating. Fun. But it's, yeah, that's that's part of the joy of, um, of photography, I guess.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: De- dealing with the disappointment. Yeah, that's it. So when when you're out there what what sort of workflow are you going through um you know and you you can either you know do you, do you put the drone up first or do you you know set up the tripod well, i guess it depends on what kind of shoot you you're doing but you know what what what's your, your normal sort of you know list of things that you you going that are going through your mind when you are uh, you know getting to a location and you you're setting up
1: yeah it's a like- it's a good question I um I get really if it's like a perfect morning if it's like a really nice sunrise or something I get super excited and I never know what to do first <laughs> so I I think what I usually do if I know that sometimes I know whether I'm gonna be in the shop or not like sometimes I'm a bit oh, no, I'm not going to put myself in this one. Like, I look shit today. Like, if I'm going to put myself in the shot, I need to make sure that I'm, like, I've got, I don't know, nice clothing or I've got my hat and I'm, my hair looks fine. Like, it sounds so a So you've got your really red
0: fashion. or yellow jacket.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I'm hiking, I usually put myself in the shot. I think for the, for the beach shots, sometimes I'm just, no, nah, I'll just pop the drone up and I'll just get, like, a, you know, shot without me in it. Um, but if I'm going to be in the shot, yeah, I definitely have to, like, plan what I'm going to wear whether it's like a, a dress or whether it's just hiking clothes with a beanie or a hat or some kind of accessory on my hair um but yeah i usually walk around depending on how much time I've got for like if it's a sunrise shoot which a lot of them are mm-hmm. um I'll definitely walk around to try and get the right vantage point and try and see I usually look for um Especially if it's like a mountainous kind of area, I look for something that I can go and stand on that puts me in a good spot in the frame and kind of gives you that sense of scale, which is usually quite far away. So I'll try and set up the tripod so that you can see me sort of in the shot standing somewhere. Um, Take a few photos like that. And then, yeah, I usually put the drone up afterwards um because it takes me obviously each drone battery is like 30 minutes or so so i know that that's going to take takes a while to figure out what the best you know view is as well and you've got to move the drone around quite a bit try different heights i think it takes a while to figure out yeah how high how high it should be for each shot because sometimes you can put it up and it's only like 10 or 20 meters above you and it can actually be a really good shot depending on which way. You know you're looking, so it takes me a while with the drone to like. Right, I fly it around a little bit sporadically. Sometimes I'll pop it up, or will do a few shots at this height. I'll pop it up more, do a few shots there, send it over here, turn around. You know, it's I'm kind of just going back and forth in the sky to try and figure out, you know, what what looks good and take photos along the way. Um, and I've been taking a few videos as well with the drone, so it's sort of like. Yeah, it takes a bit of time to like figure out what I actually want to take the video of because I've got to fly over it first to see that it actually looks okay. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a process.
0: <laughs> so what sort of things I guess are you you're trying to communicate with your photography or you know, get across to somebody that might uh, might see it?
1: I think the um in terms of travel photography in general, I think I like just capturing, I mean, landscapes definitely, but along the way, just you know, little interactions with people or little, I don't know, just little scenes that you see. That's one of my favourite things to capture, which I probably don't share as much of. I, I do on, I used to share a lot on Instagram stories, just those little moments of little things that, yep. I don't know, they you, you kind of know what I mean. Like it's not like the absolute banger landscape photo, but I like, yeah, just those little moments along the way. Um, so I like capturing those just to give a bit of a feel of like, you know, the area that I'm travelling through and I like sharing those quite a bit. Um, but I think the the main thing I try to get across is, as I said before, sense of scale and trying to like, if I make myself quite small in the photo, it gives a perspective of how vast an area is and how like it kind of makes the place itself look that much more incredible because it gives you a sense of, oh my God, this place is so big, like it's so... Yep. You know, mountains are so tall, and you look at this tiny little person in it. So, I think sense of scale is definitely something that I try and get across. Um, and yeah, I just like to bring out the colours, and um, I do. I I think lately I've been using a little bit more Photoshop to kind of get across how I how I, I so, how I see what I'm looking at when I take those photos, because obviously everyone's got a different perspective. Everyone's looking through a different lens, their own eyes. So I try and, um, yeah, I try and incorporate like Photoshop to make the image just that much better to kind of even lately I've been doing quite a lot of composites just to, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, get across like how I feel like putting a different sky in or um, there was a a photo I shared recently with a little rock pool surrounded by rocks. And so I Photoshopped the rocks a bit and I Photoshopped the water to make it you know, crystal clear, because that is just the epitome of what that area is like, not necessarily yeah. exactly what that scene looks like, but that's how beautiful the area is. So I think I've been experimenting a little bit more with that lately as well. Yeah.
0: Okay. I guess, you know, there's. Um, I was having a, a conversation a couple of weeks ago around those sorts of things, you know, where, where do people fit on that spectrum between journalistic you know, this is the scene and this is what I saw versus the artistic end where, you know, you're starting to enhance skies and so forth. And, you know, I mean, I I personally think there's space for all of those. Where where do you sit in terms of the the, the specific conversation was actually about, um, uh, I think it was actually about the International Landscape Photographer of the Year competition And the fact that most of the images look very polished, quite processed, you know, hard to say whether or not there's there's composites in that, you know, winning group or not, you know, and I'm not casting any aspersions on the fact that they've used composites or not. But, you know, whether or not that then means there should actually be a specific category for that, you know, I guess, manipulated images versus the more naturalistic um, images which are, you know, closer to what you get out of a raw file with minimal processing, you know. And I guess, you know, there's always that argument about, well, it's the photographer's choice and it's the artistic expression of the photographer to make the choices around, you know, where in that spectrum they want to fit. Um, I guess how do you how do you feel about those sorts of things, and where do you where where do you see, you know, in particular things like AI? And um, you know, there's a bit, of, a bit of discussion going on about AI, AI actually now starting to generate, you know, images, um, you know, beyond just you know the, the 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 changes that you could make in say Luminar or one of the other AI uh apps that are that that are out there where where do you where do you sit with some of that sort of stuff
1: yeah that's so interesting um i feel like that's interesting you talk about the the photography competition i i think in terms of a photography competition yeah there should probably be a separate category that is is for composites Um, because yeah it's there's definitely a massive difference that you can make if you're blending more than one photograph together with each other Um, But yeah, and, I think
0: I and for for me, as, as I said, you know, I, I I do composites myself. I you know, I'm very open about if it's a composite. Yeah, exactly. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so funny because um yeah, when I posted a few on my Instagram, I got so much backlash. Like really? this place, yeah. least, like haha, this is so Photoshopped. I got so much hate and it was it was incredible. It was from people that I don't know. And it's like photography is yeah it is an art form and i think also as well you know being on twitter i think it's kind of opened my eyes to digital art in general which i didn't really know about before twitter like i yeah. i knew that there was artists out there but i'd just not been exposed to that kind of thing before because i'm not you know when i'm if i'm scrolling on instagram there's not really stuff posted like that, or if there is, I just haven't been following it because I just it's not something that I've, yeah. I guess, yeah. been exposed to or really but knew about.
0: It is there, but I think you've kind of got to go look for it. You know, it's like anything, you know, yeah. you can look for makeup, you can look for, you know, yeah, clothing, you can look for. Dogs or pets or whatever, you know. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I guess if you don't know that that sort of art exists out there, you don't really go. You can't go searching for it if you don't know about it. If you, yeah. So I don't know. know. Yeah. So, but I think it's awesome. I think probably that's what's also inspired me to be a bit more creative in the way that I edit photos lately and try and combine photos together. So, yeah, I think it's. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential in that space especially in the nft world for um you know because it's i think also what i'm seeing as well as it is hard can be hard to stand out as a landscape photographer sometimes or just as a photographer in general because there's so many people into photography um and i think working with composites and kind of pushing it into a bit more borderline reality and not reality i think that is kind of what can help you stand out because you're putting your own artistic touch onto it that's kind of outside of just changing the contrast and changing some of the colours, like it's that next level. So I think there's definitely, definitely room for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen uh, some people describe themselves as digital artists first and foremost, but they will use photography as one of the mediums that they're, you know, working with and you know uh, you know for me particularly from an artistic perspective yeah okay yeah you know, i don't necessarily want to see a fantasy landscape i don't want to see um you know like the aurora australis or borealis over the top of the sydney opera house for example you know yeah <laughs> that kind yeah. of yeah, yeah
2: yeah
0: i get it some people may, may love that sort of thing and might you know, want, want want that on their walls or you know in their feed or whatever. But um, I guess you know, for me, I like I like stuff that's kind of rooted in reality. But I get that you know, artistic expression. And and you know, as I said, I've I've done composites myself where you know I've, I've um you know had a uh, a star trail shot over the Sydney skyline, for example. You know, and yeah you can't really see stars in sydney yeah, there's, there's a few that yeah. Yeah, you can't make yeah. star trails in sydney it's it's just yeah. impossible with your light pollution you know yeah. but yeah. you know it, it it makes an interesting looking image and it looks good you know and, yeah. Yeah. and but i guess it and for me it's more about that use of different skills i mean Yes, I took all of the star trail shots. There were 35 uh, shots in, you know, in, in the star trail that then had to be blended together to, to, to make the, the, the background image for the sky. Then I had to be in position to take the image of the skyline and all the rest of that. And then there's the editing side of things as well. So for me, it's that skills combination that is a little mm-hmm. bit different, you know, and I I equally, you know, admire people that are able to get things in one shot, you know, good good luck getting a star trail, trail over Sydney, for example. But, you know, people that can get stuff in one shot, um, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, exposure blending, for example. You know, a lot of my work is based around that, where I'm taking five or six exposures and then blending them together to get the dynamic. And mainly it's managing dynamic range more than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the limits of the camera body that I've got and the sensor and everything are such that I can't manage the dynamic range in a single shot for some of the style of you know a sunrise shot that I'm doing because you've got really dark shadows and you've got really bright highlights and the camera can only manage a, yeah. like a small spectrum of that that dynamic yeah. range. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess. Talking about, um, you know, those people that you've seen, uh, who's inspiring you or, you know, whose who's work do you kind of aspire not to copy or emulate but, uh, you know, to, to kind of, you know, who, who do you see as being somebody that you'd like to emulate?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. I think probably from Instagram days one of the biggest um photographers that inspired me especially for the dolomites in italy was um julia gartner she's yep. and we've actually like since she she's come over to twitter we've actually connected quite a bit which has been awesome because i've you know followed her on instagram for, the, for years so that was a massive she was a massive inspiration to me to visit the dolomites i think just seeing the beauty of the mountains in italy that i just had no idea existed um, yeah, so definitely her. In um, terms of names, I can't really pick many specific names from Instagram that inspired me early on. Dad definitely inspired me um, just to get into photography in general. And I think I um, I would love to be able to shoot film as well. I've got you know, when my dad passed away, he left a whole bunch of photography gear that I didn't even know that he had half of this stuff, um, like an old Hasselblad, one of the old Linhof cameras, which is like the yeah. real big heavy one, um, a little brownie box and just all this film stuff. So he definitely, I mean, he was the biggest inspiration for getting into it to begin with because um, I knew that, you know, I've got some of his his black and white photos framed and, um, but in terms of style as well, I'm just trying to think. Um, for drone-wise, definitely Mer Watson. Um, I think her beach photos are incredible. Um, so she's she's helped me out with some really you know good tips for areas to shoot down on the south coast as well. Um, yeah, I guess just random photographers on Instagram as well, just sort of searching through and seeing yeah, just all the different see in the go. oh, That's good. Yeah. Yeah, especially for locations, like I'd seen a few photos from um, from Jordan and I was like, wow, like this looks incredible and I just didn't even know that, that if I didn't have Instagram, I wouldn't have known that such a incredible, you know, landscape places existed. So, um, yeah, I think from seeing photos of Jordan on Instagram, I was like, yep, I'm going there, I booked a trip and that was one of the best trips I've ever done. And, yeah, I'd love to go back because it was still sort of, in that transitional phase of feeling like I can take good photos. <laughs> you kind of, I mean doing I've been doing this for yeah, nearly eight years now, but I think the first sort of four years, pretty much four years, was just experimenting and trying different styles and not really probably didn't do as much research into the, you know, the best times to go and the best sort of like how to how to get a good shot, I guess. It took a really long time, I felt, for me to get to that point. Um, but, yeah.
0: So did, did did you do any formal education or was it all self?
1: Yeah, pretty much all self-taught, to be honest. Um, Dad showed me just the basics of what, you know, what all the camera settings do. And then I think mainly, yeah, mainly self-taught after that. Sometimes, I, yeah, I just go and Google stuff if there's a particular way that I wanted to shoot something. Um, I did a, diff, a bit of research about different lenses, and um, I think when I got I got a, a f 1.8 lens, which was for my Nikon camera, um, and that was actually why I took my my Genesis piece on Foundation, that portrait. I took that on a Nikon with a a Sigma f 1.8 lens. I think that kind of seeing how much detail you could capture with a lens that the aperture goes that that low yeah. um that was really quite eye-opening um and I definitely need to upgrade my photography kit now because I, I ended up selling that lens because I needed to get some more money to buy a new camera because I wanted a camera that was a bit more compact and a lens that I could take one lens with me that could capture quite a range of um what do you call it depth of fit or what is it focal, the, length? focal yeah. length I'm not yeah. I'm intense sometimes but yes yeah, so I got an 18 18 to 105 millimeter because yeah, um, yeah. I was traveling with when I did this big trip around Asia I was traveling with so much gear with my drone as well and all my like everything was in a backpack for you know all my clothes for five months and then all my camera gear and my front backpack so I had to kind of be as compact as I could without breaking my back yeah um, <laughs> so but yeah that's uh I think that kind of opened my eyes to what I could capture when I was experimenting with different lenses and stuff. Um,
0: I guess that, that brings me to uh, another question around, you know, when, when you are travelling and preparing to travel, one of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of people, and I, I, I know I do it all the time when I'm, if, if I'm going overseas, which I haven't done for a while, but, uh, you know, is what what is it that is in your, in your backpack? What it, what, what's in your camera bag? um what do you leave because the weight is too much or what do you you know i'm i'm always tossing and turning around whether or not i take the the 70 to 200 because it's a it's a big lump of a lens and i mean it takes some beautiful photos up real close but geez it's a bugger to carry around with you and when you when you're getting on a plane where you've got a seven kilo limit for um you know you're you're on on in cabin luggage you know it's a it's a bit of a bit of a beast to include yeah so definitely what, what's in your camera bag when you when you go traveling and, and what 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 do you leave out and why
1: so when I go traveling again now that our borders are almost open it'll probably be a bit different from previous traveling because I have gone to the point where I'm going to upgrade my camera and get a few different lenses um but for so for that big trip that I that I did, um, it was just the Sony camera body with the 18 to 105, just the one lens. Yep.
2: Um,
1: and then because I obviously wanted to take my laptop so I could edit photos, take, yep. you know, three hard drives, and then I had my drone with my two spare batteries. Okay. Obviously all the chargers. Um that was that was pretty much it on that trip, but I have upgraded my um my camera backpack to a very expensive one but it was a present so i didn't have to pay for it which was nice um (laughs) but yeah i got a a new backpack that has quite a lot bigger than my other one and it's a special photography one it's the from the brand wandered it's really like it's got so many different compartments so i think i think i will um i think i'm going to upgrade to the sony a7 Three, I think it is maybe I'm still sort of deciding but I have a Sony at the moment a6000 um but yeah I definitely want to upgrade just to get the higher higher quality high resolution and then I will probably take I really really want to get a bigger zoom lens like 70 to 200 or something like that because especially for um wildlife shots I think I really especially when I go to places like Namibia and Africa um I really want to be able to capture more wildlife and also just to get that even better sense of scale um, so definitely a, a big zoom lens like that and i want to get a couple like a third just a 35 millimeter with a lower aperture because i think my current lens the lowest aperture is four i think yeah, yeah. Um, so i want to get some that have just a bit lower um, and then i've got so i sold my old drone and i've got a mavic 2 now so i've got four batteries for that because three was just not quite enough so four batteries for that expensive
0: Um, habit we've got isn't it
1: yeah god I know so um yeah it'll definitely be be the drone and the tripod and then obviously all the all the hard drives of which I do need to get a few spares just in case one shits itself (laughs) and then laptop so yeah (laughs) quite a lot but I think I I do get really frustrated when I don't have something that I want. Like I don't have this particular thing and I wish I had brought it. So I tend to be an overpacker for that reason, even if heavy, like just so that I've got everything because, yeah, if you don't have that one lens that you need, um, it is a bit frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: I know know the feeling. I know the feeling, which is why I tend to, you know, I I tend to err on the side of putting that big lump of a 70 to 200 in because I need it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's it. But, yeah, I think because I've got this backpack now that pretty much fits everything and it's really comfortable, I'm going to take as much as it will let me fit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. What's the most memorable experience you've had uh, out shooting?
1: I think Jordan was definitely pretty special just in terms of everything, like walking around Petra, um, that was pretty special. I'm trying to think of like a specific, okay, I've got two. So one would have been uh, a shot that I took of Annapurna, um, yeah. which is in Nepal. So we were on the trek. We weren't even supposed to do Annapurna. So I flew into Nepal to do Everest Base Camp mm-hmm. and it was in September. It was quite foggy. You need perfect weather conditions to fly into Lookout to start the track, yep. um, because the runway is 500 meters long and it's on a cliff. So yeah,
0: I've seen very, footage of uh, planes landing and taking off there, and yeah,
1: like- <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't
0: does, doesn't look safe.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, So, yeah, we were supposed to do Everest. We couldn't fly there. We waited at the airport every day for like five days and we're like, nah, we've got to do something else. So, um, we decided to do Annapurna instead. It was kind of our only other option, really. So, we did Annapurna base camp. And on the way, um, there's a sunrise sort of spot that you can go. It's called Poon Hill. And um, we were walking up, it was very, still very foggy, very cloudy. And we were basically walking up through the fog at sunrise. And I was thinking to myself, like, we're not gonna like, we're not gonna see anything. There's so much fog, you know. Get to the top, it's still really foggy, can't see a thing. And we hadn't seen, it was probably like an hour hike in the in the morning to get to the top. And so we didn't really know what the surroundings were gonna look like. It was, you know, you had no, no concept of what you'd be seeing. Um, sun came up and it was like a 10-minute window, if that, where the sun was. Just peeking through the clouds, cleared enough to leave kind of like a cloud inversion, mm-hmm. and you could just see Annapurna so perfectly. It's a it's the, the, the photo that I took is in my first collection on OpenSea. Um, so you might have seen it, but it's kind of like a purpley shot, and yep. that was just like incredible, like seeing just that split, you know. Five, 10 minutes where the clouds cleared perfectly enough to get this photo. And I was running around like a mad woman trying to get like all the different angles, set up my tripod quickly. Um, yeah, that was perfect. And then fog came back in, clouds came back in, and couldn't see it. So we got really lucky with that one. That was a perfect morning. Um, and then I think the next, the next best one is, um, which I <laughs> feel like a massive, um, idiot to be honest because I when I took this photo it was on about a three and a half week trek and I downloaded the photos to my phone because my camera has wi-fi because I didn't take my laptop with me on this trip because I had to carry all my other stuff and it was hiking for three and a half weeks so I was like right oh, I've got a big memory card it should be fine but my memory card ran out so I downloaded some photos to my phone thinking it would keep the same resolution and it didn't and so, some of those the best photos that I have are like shitty phone resolution, and I like kick myself over it all the time. It's but the one it-
0: thing I I cannot understand about any and you know Canon, Nikon, Sony. If you're listening, <laughs> fix your phone apps because I mean, my I I use the 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 Canon remote app on my phone for shooting long exposures mostly and from a shooting perspective it's absolutely great but if i transfer anything from my camera to my phone it's going to do a jpeg conversion and so i get a raw as a jpeg which then you know from an editing perspective as you know you can't do anything with well you can but you can't do half as much as what
1: you can with the raw you know and Oh, just picture app, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean it was probably a bit naive of me, but I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Like at least I've got them downloaded. But but the photos that I captured, um, and I'm gonna go back and do this trek. hundred percent I'm gonna redo this trek because it was like the best views I have seen in my entire life. Um and it's and it's different to a lot of like I think with you know the evolution of Instagram there's these places that become really popular everyone wants to go there because they become Instagram famous but I felt like on this trek it was stuff that not that many people had actually seen or taken photos you know from a from a landscape photography perspective that had been shared on Instagram it was kind of like just different so I did this I did this trek which was um in December, so it was in winter, which is the dry season in Nepal. Um, but it was to Everest, but you kind of go halfway along the Everest trek. Then you kind of divert to the side and you go to this place called uh, Gokyo-ri, which is a little village. There's a lake there. Um, but Sorry, the village is called Gokyo and then Gokyo Lake. And then Gokyo-ri is like a mini sort of summit that you can do. Okay. Um, which is about five and a half or 5,600 metres. So we went up there for sunset and from Ri, you can see 121 different mountain peaks, including Everest, all around you. And it was like clear skies, sunset, the colours. It was just like the most incredible view I have ever seen in my life, I think. So yeah, that was one of the most memorable experiences.
0: Hey. How about horror stories?
1: I'm sure I've got I've got some horror stories. Um, oh, uh, yes, okay, I've yes, i Yes, yep, 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 okay, I've got the perfect story, which is like the scariest one. So this is actually also a photo that was in my my first collection. Um, it was in the Dolomites in Italy. So I was travelling around the Dolomites for I think it was about two weeks and I was um, just had a little hire car, a little Fiat Panda, um, and just camping on my own and sometimes sleeping in my car because I was trying to save yeah, you know, This was the start of my five, six-month trip. So I did leave for a couple of weeks and then went on to Asia. And I was wanting to go to Alpe de Susi, which is an alpine meadow. And you can't actually drive into the area where a lot of, you know, where you're going to get the best shots. You can't drive in there. I think it's between like 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Yep. And the, the accommodation near there was really expensive, like a couple hundred dollars a night. So I planned to drive there. Super early in the morning. It was like a two-hour drive or something from where I was camping, and I was there in summer, mm-hmm. and I didn't check the weather before driving, and it started to snow. And I thought summer, it'll be fine. Like it'll just be a little bit of snow. So I started driving up these switchbacks. Snow is getting heavier. Snow is getting heavier. Getting a little bit more worried. Didn't and then there was- the car. sorry,
0: didn't have chains in the car for the tires.
1: No, nah, it was a little Fiat Panda and it was summer. So I didn't even think snow was going to be a thing. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, so I kept driving and then there was one of those, um, it was like the traffic lights that are sort of automatic, go red and green because um, they were doing roadworks at the top of this yeah. this road. And so there was obviously no one there because it was like 3am and the light was red. So I stopped and snow was just getting so heavy. And I was like, shit, should I turn around? Anyway, So when the light went green, I started to drive and I was just spinning wheels. And I was like, "Ah, what am I going to do? And then I got, I literally couldn't like turn around. So I ended up, (laughs) I ended up reversing down switchbacks for 45 minutes to get out of the snow because I was terrified to try and turn around because I thought my car was just going to, it felt like it was just sliding everywhere. So I was trying to reverse in the same tracks as I had gone up and like because it's a switchback, you kind of like some sections had guardrails and some sections didn't. And I actually thought, oh, my God, am I going to am I going to have a car crash and die? Like I was terrified, Um, but I managed to get out of it, managed to get down to where the snow was kind of, you know, the the snow was melting on the road because it was not quite so high and it wasn't as heavy. Um, Yeah, that was terrifying, (laughs) Uh, but I ended up going. <laughs> so scary. Um, it was just one of those moments where, like, it's summer. You would noise like. I wouldn't think it would snow in summer, but yeah. you know, as an Australian, you, you tend in, to not. In think the Alps in,
0: in Europe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to so, be really honest, it can it can snow here on Kosciuszko in in summer. It, it's rare, but it does happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I. I mean, I've I've been in a number of places in Europe, you know, around, um, not necessarily full summer, but you know, around April May, where you think, oh yeah, it's not going to snow, you know, even in the UK, where it rarely snows outside of you know February, you know, yeah. and sit, sitting there, um, we we're actually going to go on a picnic uh, with the wife, family, and the kids and um we got to the picnic grounds and you know this cloud come over and got heavier and heavier and it started to sleet, and then started to snow in may and i'm so <laughs> really
1: yeah it's crazy how rapidly it can change
0: yeah it's amazing and yeah, you know, that that's the thing i guess you you just got to kind of prepare for everything
1: yeah exactly
0: what have you learned about the world through photography do you think
1: Oh, probably the biggest one is to get up for sunrise. I think it's really like sunrise is just such a perfect time of day and it's so easy to just sleep through it. And I think as well, you know, get the sleep that you need, but, you know, there's so much to see out there and trying to just make the most of every day and just think that was something that I definitely learned, especially on my big trip. Like, you know, the more time during the day that you spend, the more you're going to see, the more you're going to experience. Um, That's definitely a big one. And it's just, especially traveling around Asia, I think it really gave me a different perspective on the way people live their lives in terms of like in Nepal, for example, Um, you know, like my partner, he's very, very, you know, generous, kind, has gratitude for the smallest things. Mm -hmm. And we, in a, you know, Western society, we take things for granted of how easy we have it and how lucky we are to have everything we need at our disposal, essentially. Um, So just being able to appreciate the little things like having air conditioning, you know, like a lot of places around the world don't have air conditioning and they, it's just a simple thing that, you know, we get so used to. Um, So trying to appreciate the little things, because there's so many people that don't, you know, that aren't as lucky or as fortunate to, to have those things. Um, yeah, that, they're kind of the main things.
0: Mm. That reminds me, actually, one one of the things I've heard you talk about in spaces on Twitter and, you know, see, seen in your, your feed a bit um, is your advocacy for inclusion and diversity. Um, talk to me a bit about that and, you know, what 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 makes you passionate about that, and why is it so important?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, there's so many different layers to it. I think it's it kind of started with um, so as I am an engineer, I work in quite a male-dominated industry. Um, my team is basically all white males. Um, so just I think it's easy it's easy for them to kind of not appreciate. Perspectives outside of being a you know middle-aged yep. white male. <laughs> no, yep. there's nothing wrong with that, but it's you know I'm one, I mean,
0: and I I know that it's it, it it sets up a set of biases that I actively try to you know counteract where I can, but you know I know I know that there, there there's some there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's um there's so much value to be had by including perspectives from you know, all different genders, all different, you know, people with different abilities, um, people with different sexualities, people from different countries with different religions. Like there's so many different perspectives that are really important to have just in society in general. And yeah, as you said, there's so many biases at play that, um, you know, maybe someone that doesn't speak English as a first language that speaks English as a second language, people, can have an unconscious bias towards that, that, oh, maybe their their opinion is not as important or they're not as smart. And it happens with women as well. Like women are often seen, especially in an engineering world, as not being, you know, we may not be as confident, but that that's kind of interpreted as they don't know their stuff as well and they're not as capable. So it definitely stemmed from, um, from being an engineer, to be honest, and really... I've seen how hard it is for women in this industry to, especially offshore, because offshore is quite, um, offshore on drilling rigs basically is where I work. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm one of five women on a rig of almost 200 people, and it can be really hard to stand your ground and and be resilient and make sure that your opinion gets heard and that your voice gets heard. So, um, yeah, I definitely... I definitely think it's important to raise awareness about it and make just have it as this ongoing conversation and talk about it, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever really it needs to be something that the more you talk about and the more people recognize and the more people understand what unconscious biases there are and when they're at play and how to kind of recognize them. I think that's, um, that's super important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I and as I say, being a, a white middle-aged male, you know, I I'm, I'm quite aware of you know the biases that I have, or you know that society sort of applies, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in some cases as well. And uh, you know, it, I don't don't always succeed, but I try to try to counteract some of those biases by you know sitting there being, try to be more patient, try to be more open Mm -hmm. to different opinions and different, you know, voices. And, you know, from my perspective, it's really important, you know, that, you know, women, you know, people of colour, you know, uh, Indigenous people, they all get a voice, you know, people of different sexualities, et cetera. They all get a voice because, you know, their voices, particularly in the artistic world, are equally as valid if not, you know, more valid in some cases. You know, when you start yeah, to okay. talk about indigenous art and those sorts of things, you know. Um, yeah,
2: definitely.
0: And so, from my perspective, it's it, it is really important to 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 get those voices heard, and you know, it's something that I'm, you know, trying to do. It's it, it's interesting. You know, landscape photography, you know, tends to be a fairly uh, privileged. Occupation slash hobby, whatever for, you know, and the vast majority of people are, you know, white middle-aged male <laughs> that, that do it. <laughs> so you know, trying to find those voices and trying to trying to get those voices heard is uh, is something that I'm 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 definitely trying to a- actively uh, do as, as part of this podcast. So you know, um, for me, it's it, it's an important thing to you know, keep in the back of my mind when I'm, you know, talking to people about various stuff to, you know, to 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 make sure that that's uh that that's something that doesn't get forgotten and you know where where possible and get it talked about. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah, definitely. yeah.
0: Um so what advice would you give the 10 year old Courtney Clark?
1: Oh. Um Ten-year-old Courtney, let me think about this. I think the biggest thing for me is kind of like I said before, you know, enjoy, try and enjoy the present. I think something that, and I still struggle with to this day, is I'm always kind of wait. I'm sort of like, okay, when this happens, I'll be happy. When this happens, I'll be happy. When this happens, I'll be happy. And it's kind of hard. It can be quite hard to focus on you know, doing the things that make me happy now. I think COVID's kind of exacerbated that a little bit as well, but trying to just enjoy the present moment is, yeah, and have gratitude for the little things and to keep reminding myself of that because it is so easy to get into, you know, a spiral of, you know, especially being locked in Western Australia, like, oh, you know, I'm not really happy today, but I'm not really doing anything about it. But, you know, I've got so much to look forward to that I do need to just kind of enjoy the present moment. So I think that's that's definitely a big one. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot after my dad passed away, there's a lot that I learned from that, um, which I don't know if I, I mean, yeah, technically I would t- tell my 10-year-old self that, but just things like, you know, we're always taught a lot of the time we're taught that you need to get a good job. You need to, you know, buy a house. You need this. This is all the steps that you need to do between here and being a successful person. Um, And I think we put a lot of emphasis on if you're wealthy, then you're successful. And, you know, after my, after my dad passed away, he wasn't a wealthy guy. He'd, he'd been through some issues um, in his life and he ended up declaring bankruptcy like a couple of years before he passed. Um, so, you know, he had like $200 in his bank account when he passed and no savings. So he, but you know, when, when we went to his funeral, the amount of people that were there and the amount of people that only had good things to say about him, the kind of person he was, you know, that's something that I constantly try and remind myself of is, what kind of person do you want to be? Like, that's the most important thing. If you can have a good impact on other people, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if I've got however much money in my bank account when I die. It's yeah. no one's gonna care, no one's gonna care about that, other than well, you know, you might <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I think that's that's something as well. Just yeah. what kind of impact can you make on people in this world um, is more important than you know having a shitload of money when you die.
0: <laughs> I, mean, I think that's that's a really important point that you know I mean um I remember my grandfather uh many many years ago telling me that uh you you have won at life if you die owing somebody else money. <laughs> yeah. Um because they can't get it off you because you're dead. Yeah. So <laughs> but um, yeah he he uh, he he basically though had beyond that, you know, there was also the the philosophy of you know be nice to people, have a positive impact on their life, and most of all, you know, be happy within yourself. You know, that, that was one of the things that he told me when I was about four or five that I I really remember. You know, um, him him saying, you know, you you are the one that can make you happy. No one else can. You know,
2: yeah. yeah exactly. uh, yeah
0: okay that that changes through life and you know finding a partner that that can help make you happy but again it's how you feel that you know and you're in control of it and i think that's a it's a really important point is you know the, the the positive things that you can bring into your own life then you can share with other people um you know make makes an absolute difference to uh you know how you how you how you've lived your life i think
1: yeah, that's so true. Yeah, for sure.
0: So, what do you like to do when you're not out shooting and not taking photos? Engineering.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The job's pretty um pretty full on at the moment, but um, yeah. I don't know. I I try to keep fit. Um, catch up with friends. Uh, I'm a crazy plant lady, actually. Okay. I um, I have like probably about a hundred indoor plants. Um, <laughs> so that's. Going to be a bit of a challenge when I start working away more, but um, yeah, that's kind of kind of the main thing you especially. To... Hydroponics
0: room or something for them. Sorry. You'll have to set up a hydroponics room or something for them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need to sort that out. But yeah, I think for me, especially living living in Perth, is not something I see myself doing long term. I'll probably stay here another couple of years. Um but I definitely want to move somewhere like Europe or maybe even Canada um, if I can get a job there in the field that I'm working in, because I would much rather spend my weekends going to the mountains. That is just, yeah, I'm definitely a mountain girl. I, I love the beach, but, you know, hiking in mountains and photography in mountainous landscapes is definitely something that I enjoy more than, than shooting beaches, I think. So, um, yeah, that was something that I would talk to in the future. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. I, I, I don't blame you. It's uh, something that I'd like to do. Do you print much of your work?
1: Now that you say that, I'm looking up at my wall in my study, which has got, um, <laughs> I've got like 16 little square photos of,
2: of
1: hey. places that I've been. So, yeah, here and there. And I've got a couple. Um, I've got a, an, a photo of an elephant's eye, like a close-up of an elephant's eye that I took in Cambodia. I've got that on my wall. Um, and I've got a photo from Nepal on my wall. So I do print a fair bit of um, of my own work. But, yeah.
0: Oh, fair enough. Uh, okay, so only a couple of questions to go. Um, are there any photographers out there that you think should be on the podcast?
1: Oh, I was going to say probably Julia. Um, I know that she's... Uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to learn more about her and the way that she, um, you know, I think she's had some struggles with in terms of Instagram and just getting so absorbed in the social media side of photography, yep.
2: um,
1: as opposed to just bringing it back to creating, you know. So I think she would probably be a good one. Um, I don't know if you've uh, done one with Laurie yet either. Uh,
0: um, Laurie Grace Bailey, yes. Uh, yeah, listen to that, that one because yeah, that that one came out. Um, before Christmas, I think.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, and other people as well, uh, and people that have helped me a lot in the in the NFT world is um, James, uh, James Elliot. Yep.
2: He's
1: he's got a, a collection out that's got a really really moving story behind it, and we bonded because um, we both lost a parent. Um, so I think he's definitely would definitely have a lot to say. Um, I know that he's a little bit shy and speaking sometimes but um yeah that would be that would be really good to to get him on a podcast and also um eric bleacher as well he's uh he does a lot of mental well not mental they're like recovery spaces for um uh recovering addicts alcohol addicts um and yeah he's He's got a lot to to share for sure. He's been a massive inspiration to me and, and helped to me along the way as well. Um, yeah, there's so many there's so many good good photographers and yeah, artists it? in general. And, and
0: and I've got a long list, but I I like to add to it just to make sure that I've got people to talk to because I yeah I, I really enjoy doing it. You know um, yeah. All right, one more question, and it's definitely the most important question that I can ask you uh, right now, and uh, that is, do you like pineapple on pizza?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I probably won't order it by default, but if it's there, yes, I'll eat it.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of the same. I, uh, I I definitely probably wouldn't order it by default, but, yeah. yeah. If, if it's there, I won't pick it off.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> that's
0: a good question. Let's <laughs> uh, it, as I say, it's a it's a very important one, and I think you know we've got to got to get to the bottom of this with uh, landscape photographers and find out where they stand on on Pineapple. What's been
1: what's <laughs> been the proportions of answers so far?
0: Uh, to be honest, I haven't actually counted. I should do that, <laughs> um, but uh, I th- I think it's probably about fifty fifty at the moment. Um,
2: oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's there's a few people that are neutral, kind kind of like us. Where you know, if it's there, you whatever. You yeah. know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, there, there's there's definitely some strong opinions on it. Uh, I was talking to uh, Julian Lalo recently, and he, he's Italian, of course, and so it's a big no for him. You know, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. that's so funny.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right, well, thank you uh, so much for talking to me. Uh, uh, courts it's been uh, absolutely fantastic catching up with you and really interesting to hear a little bit more about your story and how you do what you do where can people find your work
1: yeah of course thank you so much for for inviting me to do this it's been awesome to to talk a bit more about yeah the art um so I've got work available on OpenSea I've got my first collection release Alpine Glow that the primary sales have sold out, but there's a few available on secondary. Um, I've also got work on foundation, and I'm looking at setting up a, a website just to have a bit more of a portfolio of the photos that I've taken so far, but also um, on Instagram as well as where I post, post a lot of stuff. So, yeah. All
0: right. No worries. I'll make sure that there's links to all of that uh, in the in the show notes when the, uh, the podcast comes out.
1: Awesome. Sounds good
0: no worries thanks again
1: thank you so much grant
0: pleasure thanks for listening to landscape photography world i hope you've enjoyed the show and keep listening because i'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes you can find my work in this podcast at grant i'm also on instagram twitter and facebook as well as youtube i'm grant swinburne and hope to see you out shooting soon